We are going to get into our topic today on honesty and lying. For those of you that are just maybe joining us or guests, what we do is we go through the material that the church recommends. And right now we're in the book of Proverbs. And this week it's honesty and lying. Uh, next week will be pride and humility. And it's just amazing how much we can pull out of the Proverbs. So we're going to do that today. And I thought I might mention that really honesty and lying are very appropriate because we have a lot of lies we've seen lately. Lies about what life is, about what marriage is, about even what a woman is. I mean, you started just making the list. It's just unbelievable. So we live in a world where, and at the end I'm going to talk about maybe the pressure that comes from the culture to cause us to accept some of those lies. In the first century, the lie was that Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. And so Christians have always had to deal with that. So we're going to spend a little time on that. But I know that some of you like to also hear some of the other material that is sometimes available. And it turns out that uh, earlier this week, they played the podcast that I did with Jim uh, Dennison and Mark uh, Turlin, and uh, those are individuals with the Dennison Forum. So one of the things Fred did was put a link there if you'd like to hear this podcast, because it was all about just the complete lack of trust that we have, a uh, lack of trust in the political realm, lack of trust in the economic realm, even last year, lack of trust in the cultural realm. And I thought in some respects it was something you might want to see and here as well, because it's a great material of on what we look at, the very significant challenges that I think we're facing in a culture that has turned its back on truth. We live in this so-called post-truth culture. And so I thought if you'd like to hear the interaction between Jim Dennison and me on that, it's available on the website as well. Well, let's get into this. And uh, first of all, I want to, as always, read a couple of the verses that get us started. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs. We're going to go to Proverbs 4, verse 24. Again, this is going to be kind of a sword drill. We're going to be moving all over the place here. But Proverbs 4, 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Then we move over to chapter 6. And this is a longer passage here, verses 16 and following. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes and a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. How appropriate that is in light of what's been going on lately. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Then if you go over just a little bit longer, and then in chapter 8, verses 1 to 7, does not wisdom call, does not understanding uh, raise her voice. On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gate in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Then over in chapter 12, we have another section that uh, talks about the idea that in verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And finally, then in chapter 13, verse 5, the righteous hates falsehood, 
but the wicked bring shame and disgrace. Isn't it amazing? And we've only looked at a third of the verses. How many times Solomon, in educating his children and ultimately educating the nation of Israel and ultimately us, he talks about this issue of lying. And so it isn't just a problem of lying that existed back then. It seems to happen now as well. Here are just a couple of things that were in the notes that the church provided. At the end, I'm going to talk about a book that actually gets into it as well. But the material that the church provided estimated that 60% of Americans can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. That's a pretty sobering statistic. Most people tell an average of four lies a day. Uh, and since some of us in this room probably don't tell lies, you can recognize that it's probably skewed the other way. 13% of people admit to lying and 32% uh, stretch the truth to their doctor. You love that one there? Um, I'm going to a doctor tomorrow, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, 30% of people lie about their diet and exercise regimens. 31% of people admit to lying on their resumes. If you work in this whole area of human resources, something to pay attention to. The average child begins to tell lies between ages two and three, and 70% of liars claim they would tell the same lies again. The point I'm making is, is this relevant? I think it is. It may not necessarily be relevant to your life, but it's certainly relevant to the people that you interact with. And I think I've always made a mistake of assuming that anytime somebody tells me that and tells me something, that I believe them. And I think this is wise counsel to think maybe I need to be a little more discerning. So again, uh, some of the things that obviously here, lying is something that the world does pretty regularly. By the way, I'm going to talk about politicians before we're done, so we'll get into that for sure. But as Christians, we should be different. And notice how Jesus talks about this. You know, he identified two different opposing kingdoms, one of lies and one of truth. He says, Satan is the prince of this world, referred to him at one point in John 8 as a liar and the father of lies. But then he also called himself the prince of peace and referred to himself as what? The truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So those of us who follow Jesus, obviously it is important for us as citizens of his kingdom uh, to walk in truth, not falsehood. Now, Back to the point here, Proverbs also tells us that if you have wisdom, you speak only the truth. That's what we saw in chapter 8. We'll get into some of that in just a minute. And that God and his righteous ones hate falsehood. So there's going to be a real important part of us as we find ourselves in a culture of lies. And some of that's in the interview that we did, kind of the dialogue between Jim Dennison and I, in which his book is about the coming tsunami and all the lies that are being told about every area of life. And how, in some respects, if we aren't discerning and we don't have wisdom, we could just be caught up in saying some of those things. We may not necessarily try to lie, but we are so conformed to this culture that we actually continue to spread those lies. And so that's going to be important as well. Um, a key verse or two, and sometimes people say, well, why shouldn't I tell lies? Well, because God does not tell lies and God does not call us to do so. So I give you a couple of verses there in the Old Testament book of Numbers. And also you see that again in the New Testament in Titus. He speaks only truth because what? He is truth. And his character is holiness. He is, by definition, incapable of lying. And if we are people of God reflecting his image, we should be truth speakers as well. Paul also said that one of the things that we 
have done as Christians is we put off our old self and put on our new self. Last week when I was at Bayside Christian School, a Christian Church, I was actually preaching on Colossians 3, where he talks about taking off the old clothes, the old self, and putting the new one on. And you see this here, because we should no longer deal with the world the way we were dealing with it when we were in the world, but we're supposed to be different and not engaged in the deceitful desires of the world. Also, by putting that on, we should um, speak only truth instead of tearing those kinds of things down. And, of course, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Finally, we also see that when we're talking about speaking truth to one another, uh, we see Paul even referring to the way you used to live. Some of you may have become Christians early in life. You didn't have a lifetime of lying and deceit. But some of you that became Christians later in life can go back and look at the time in which you, as he says, uh, put away lying, put away that part of your life. And instead, that's something we put away because we are to be people of the truth. And he also goes on to say that in some respects, we don't lie to spare feelings or to keep the peace. We should be those who tell the truth. A person that comes to you and says, I want you to tell me the truth. And they hopefully come to you because they believe you're the kind of person that would tell the truth because they wonder if they can trust anybody, which is one of the big questions I think we're all facing today in the 21st century. I had on Friday when we had our weekend edition, we had Kelly Shackelford on, we had Jeremy Dice, and we all at one point or another said, you know, there are times when you just don't even know what to believe because you have so many falsehoods being spread around here that's the case and so we need to be a place where people can go and say you're going to tell me the truth you're not going to lie to me like everyone seems to be doing and you think about even the way jesus approached individuals even when he was criticizing the hypocrites he did that brutally to if anything not ridicule them or shame them but hopefully calling them even to repentance and so i think that is important for us as we are speaking truth in a culture that has turned its back on God, in many cases has turned its back on truth. Well, let's look at a couple of other verses, because the second section here reminds us that not only is lying not in character for a Christian, lying also doesn't work very well. I used to try to explain to my kids, first of all, if you tell the truth, even if it makes you guilty of something, that's better than if I find out that you lie... And then I double punish you for it, if nothing else. But more importantly, it's just easier to tell the truth, right? I mean, you've heard the statement before. If I lie to you, then I've got to remember which lie I was and what I said to you. And, I got, and it just it gets too complicated. But ultimately, here we see that it brings destruction. So let's go to chapter 14, verse 5, for example. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. And then we see a little bit later in verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Then in verses uh, chapter 19, verses 22 and following, we have a whole section uh, that we'll look at. Verse 22, what is desired is a man is steadfast love and a poor man is better than a liar. And then it goes on to verses 28 and following, um, where, let's see, where did I put those there? Um, a worthless witness mocks at justice, 
and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. A condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the back of fools. Then verse uh, chapter 26, for example, we have a longer section here as well, which also looks at this issue of lying. And starting in verse 24 and following, excuse me, I didn't turn the page over. Uh, Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. A stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. And a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A reminder once again that of this list of seven things which God hates, all of which hurt someone, but most importantly it reminds us that God hates of the list, hates lying as well. Then you have, for example, Proverbs 26, which warns us not to trust in those people with a gracious speech. You have ever had somebody and they're really giving you flowerly language. Maybe they're trying to sell you a used car. Maybe they're trying to get you involved in an investment. Maybe they're trying to cover some kind of problem or sin or thing that they've done. And they're just so uh, gracious and so flattering. And as a result, you know, you just sort of, after a while, if you have any discernment at all, see through them and say, would you stop? Because I just know that you're actually, as he uses here, uh, trying to put like a glaze over an earthen vessel. And so, in some respects, they're uh, maybe a little slick. We had a president we called Slick Willie. Remember that? You know, we have some people that were able to, you know, always try to cover over some of their deception because they were using smooth words and they were using charm in the midst of that. Uh, evil, in some respects, though, they'll say, even though it might work for a time, eventually evil will always be exposed in the end. Not maybe always in their lifetime, but certainly in the great judgment to come. And they'll certainly do a great deal of damage at the time. But it points out that those who actually lie eventually are hurt by their own deception. Uh, we can see that even in the political realm. We'll get to that in just a minute. And whether they realize it or not, lying is oftentimes an act of hatred towards the person you're deceiving. When you're lying for them, you're not helping them out. Because what has the Bible said? We should speak the truth in love. And that's really what we're called to do. So you may think your lives don't hurt anyone, but almost always, as we're reminded here, they do. Then it gets into this whole idea of false witness. And that is, of course, one of the uh, Ten Commandments. You know, we should not bear false witness. And so this gets into even almost sort of a legal situation in which you have individuals that um, are engaged in what you might call slander. And it's lying about someone else. And there, of course, is a contract uh, situation which that takes place. If you wonder why I'm doing this, I've got this one bug that keeps wanting to eventually get into my mouth, I guess. So once I finally uh, swallow it, then we'll be done with that bug. I don't know why, but I've got this one bug that seems to like me. And I didn't even eat any of the food back there. I figured if I just eat some of the food, it would be coming after me here. But nevertheless, I tend to attract bugs. So there you go. Anyway, let's get back to this. Here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament theocracy, the testimony of one witness was not considered reliable. Uh, I was reading some of the commentaries and they said, you know, back in the Old Testament, of course, we didn't have CSI 
We didn't have DNA. We didn't have a lot of things that we can use today to validate. So there was really an important sense in which if somebody was going to be punished, we wanted more than one witness because that one witness could be unreliable or they could have it in for the person. So a witness, uh, if they were only giving one testimony, you needed some other witness to corroborate it. And they also concluded that if the two witnesses were basically telling the same story, maybe collusion was taking place. So this is one of those, if you will, puzzling statements in the Old Testament Torah, which, if you don't understand the context, looked very unfair. Because it says that if you actually were in a court and you gave testimony and it was found out that you were lying, you would face the same punishment of the person that you were giving testimony against. Now, just imagine if you were giving testimony which would cause the death penalty. Just think about this. I mean, if you lie in a court of law, and I have a son-in-law who's a lawyer, matter of fact, he's got a big case this Tuesday, uh, he is always wanting to make sure that anybody that's on the stand giving testimony tells the truth. And if you lie, well, you're held in what? Contempt. But we have yet to put anybody to death over contempt in court. But you can see that in that day, when you had no other way to validate that, your testimony in court was so valuable and so necessary that if you lied, you would then suffer the same punishment as the individual that was accused. I thought it was kind of interesting. It's one of those parts of the Old Testament people go, oh, I don't know, that just looks so barbaric. But when you understand the context, that's all they could go on. The testimony. And here, Solomon is using that as an illustration because you can, he was trying to say that any time that you're engaged in slander, that is the case. But now, as one of the commentaries said, you know, might just look at this and say, yeah, well, I'm not planning on lying in court. I'm not going to be in court anytime soon. I'd never do that. No, no. I think the broader context here is bearing false testimony, not just in a court, but even bearing false testimony of your neighbor. Um, whether in the court or in the dinner table or a coffee table, that gets into gossip, doesn't it? Slander. You know, people saying derogatory things about someone else. Let's face it, most of you that have been in the corporate world, you've had to face someone who has bad-mouthed you to one of the colleagues, haven't you? And I'm seeing a few heads already shaking because you know what that's like. And here, what I think Solomon's talking about is that could be considered obviously lying as well. And so, again, it suggests that God is going to really hold people accountable for slander, even if it's not in a court. And that could be any slanderous word. It could be gossip, even if it isn't official false witness. So that was something that as I got into the commentaries, I thought, this is broader than just what happens in a courtroom. Lots of times it happens every single day. Over and over, Scripture talks about slander as sin. If you want some verses here, uh, Proverbs talks about slander that God hates. Uh, it's also the idea of lies and wait for blood. It's almost comparing it to like premeditated murder and even how slander separates close friends. So again, I think we've gone from the point where we walked in and said, oh, honesty, I'm honest, I never lie. You can now see, well, maybe this could get a little more convicting in terms of what we say about another individual. And most importantly, I think the idea, as we saw today with Pastor Graham, 
the number of commendations that he gave from Phoebe all the way down to many of those unpronounceable names, which I'm glad he did and I didn't have to do, right? Uh, we're all an example of the fact that we're all in the body of Christ. And is a great opportunity for us to build one another up, even here in the examine class as well. So lying and slander are evil because they do that to an individual. Jesus said what comes out of our mouths defiles us and uh, reveals what's in our hearts. And here it even talks about those who pour out lies and stir up conflict because of pride and arrogance and jealousy. Next week we'll talk about pride and humility. And we sometimes find people that will tear everybody down so they make them feel good. You ever run into that? You see somebody that's just constantly critical and you realize maybe they have a poor self-esteem. And the way to make themselves feel good is they criticize and attack everybody else. And so we see that as well. But finally, just real quickly, if we haven't already seen it enough, we see now the principle that lying just really never pays off in the long run. You may get away with it for a time, but there are obviously consequences to lying. In chapter 10, verses 18 and following, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, and whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Then in verse 12, we see a section, verses 17 and following. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. And then verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Then in uh, verses uh, chapter 19, we see a section here as well. Verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Down in verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. And then verse 20, we have a section which uh, looks at the fact that bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full, I love this, of gravel. <laughs> it uh, is very picturesque. We'll get to that in just a minute. And 21, verse 6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And then finally in verse 28, we read the section, a false witness will perish but the word of a man who hears will endure. And here, the reminder of all of this is that lying is not only inconsistent with God's character, not only that it hurts other people, but number three, that it almost never works. You get away with a lie for a while, but eventually the truth comes to the fore. 
Liars almost are always found out, and I think most of us have experienced that. If you've watched over time, and you've lived as long as many of us in this room have lived, you've seen how sometimes people get away with it for a while, but it only lasts for so long. And that's exactly what here Solomon is telling us. Once you start lying, first of all, you have to have more lies, and eventually people catch that one of those lies is inconsistent with another one there, and it's kind of like a snowball that you can't even control it anymore. And so we've seen sometimes criminals get away with their crimes but eventually they do suffer the consequences. Proverbs 20 then uses this uh, interesting point here. Again, as over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the way in which Hebrews put together. This is what's called antithetical parallelism. That's where the second line is a contrast with the first. And so it starts out with this idea that lies at first, they kind of taste sweet. Kind of like those great things that we've got out there for everybody to eat before we walk in the door. But eventually... You have a mouthful of gravel. I mean, just think about a mouthful of gravel. Uh, I, it's, it's even imagined. First of all, you can almost taste it and feel it. First of all, it's not a real good, tasty thing. Also, probably wouldn't be good for your teeth and your mouth and all the rest. And it's just a way of Solomon saying, yeah, it may seem very sweet, but you end up with a mouthful of gravel. I, I love the illustration because it's something that we almost always react to. And then, a couple other images he uses. A lying tongue is like a fleeting vapor, you know, and then it's gone, disappears into the thin air. Or it's like a, dead, a deadly snare that entraps you in pain and punishment. And so lies, even these so-called white lies we now, can take our toll on mental health. It is amazing to me the number of studies that I mentioned. Uh, I actually heard one mentioned yesterday, even in a conference I was watching online, uh, in which they were talking about anxiety and dishonesty actually have an impact on our physical health. Not just our mental health, but our physical health. And so it's interesting to see that some of the things Solomon was talking about um, almost two millennia ago are now being verified by people in the medical field as well. And lying can also be used to create a false identity. Um, any of you have ever been on dating apps? Anybody's ever been on Facebook? And then you meet the person and go, you don't quite look like your picture there on Facebook or on the dating app there or on Tinder or whatever it might be. Uh, again, works for a while, but doesn't quite last. And so again, you can see that illustration as well. So finally, what we should do. I think as Christians, we should recognize that even Paul was saying that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so if we are putting Jesus in control in our lives, as Paul talks about there, then Jesus is the one who is the truth, so we should be truth-tellers. Abiding in Christ, giving him control, gives us the opportunity to live as Christ lives through us. And if we desire to have people see Christ in us, I think we need to be truth-tellers. And again, I've said before, in a culture that has turned its back on the light and has gotten very dark, a culture that's turned its back on God and even turned its back on truth, I think we're going to stand out if we are living the Christian life before the watching world. Because I think more and more people are going to say, something different about you. I haven't quite figured it out. What makes you different? And what a great evangelistic opportunity.
Well, we have a few minutes left because I always like to end on time. You know, these talk show hosts, they love to end on time. So that's what we're going to do. But I did want to put a few things on the table that might give you some application as well. And the first is simply to recognize that we are seeing a new normal. As a matter of fact, the podcast that I mentioned we did with Jim Dennison, he was talking about the fact that we're in a new normal, and is, the normal is different than the normal from before, just from the pandemic alone. But we also see this. I love this. You can't handle the truth. Of course, that comes from a very famous movie. But again, these studies are coming in. This comes from U.S. World News Report. 96% of Americans admit to lying. So I think that probably applies to a lot of us in the room. And they're even asking questions. I found this little piece. When did lying become the new normal in America? Okay, you've always had people lying. Uh, but when did lying actually become the new normal? Well, I think in part it came when there was no longer a belief that there was truth. We as a culture pretty much now have rejected the idea, obviously, of biblical truth, but we've also rejected the idea of even absolute truth. You have your view of truth, and I have my view of truth. You have a different view of truth. Everybody has a different view of truth. The big word for that, which I've talked about in the class before, is called postmodernism. The idea that truth is no longer discovered. Truth is simply a personal experience uh, we don't necessarily believe that there's any kind of truth. And once we reject the idea of any kind of truth, well, then it's a lot easier to actually accept the idea that I can tell people what I think my truth is, even if most of us would refer to that as a lie. There is a good way to make that case. This is a book that came out years ago. As a matter of fact, it's been came out decades ago, so it's pretty old. It, I think, illustrates a point that was made a number of years ago. Um, Peter Kim, in particular, but also James Patterson, had worked in the area of Madison Avenue. They worked in the area of marketing. They worked in the area of surveys. And they concluded that a lot of the surveys that were done in America were just not accurate. And so they put together an attempt to try to get people to tell the truth. Now, part of the problem is, is that if you do a face-to-face -face interview with individuals and you ask them certain questions, they're just not going to tell you the truth. So what they did, first of all, is they put together focus groups where they spent a lot of time talking about the fact that we really want you to tell us the truth in this survey. We want you to show you that as you fill out the survey, you put it in an envelope, there is no way that we'll ever be able to trace your answer back to you. So it is anonymous, but... The cover of the a particular envelope helps us understand male, female, age, uh, background, all those kinds of things. So it was uh, an attempt to try for the first time, this goes back decades ago, to have a survey that's really true. And what they concluded was that people had rejected the Ten Commandments, rejected the idea of any kind of biblical truth, rejected the idea of absolute truth, and as a result, these are their words. Americans are making up their own rules, their own laws. And so this came, this book finally came out in the early 1990s, but it's, the research was done in the 1980s, so it goes back quite a bit of time. First of all, they found that only 13% of this people back then, decades ago, believe in all Ten Commandments. I suspect that number is now maybe in the single digits. 
they found that only 40% believed in five of the Ten Commandments. Now, the question you're probably thinking is, do they even know what the Ten Commandments are? Remember when uh, Jay Leno used to go out there on uh, um, Hollywood Boulevard and ask him, name one of the Ten Commandments. Freedom of speech. No, 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 you know. Uh, Jesse Waters, he does this down now in New York. Same thing. Yeah, don't have it. No, they had the list of the Ten Commandments there, and they could check out which ones they believed. But only 40% believed in five of the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't you like to know which ones those were, right? And the conclusion was this. This goes back decades. Lying has become an integral part of the American culture, a trait of the American character. 91% of us lie on a regular basis. And again, you can see similar numbers here today. So this is the world in which we go. You may be truth tellers. You may not tell lies. You may have punished your children, your grandchildren. Again, talking about moms for lying to you. But again, we go out into a world that does not necessarily believe the truth. And so what about that? This has also, of course, been modeled by presidents. Now, this particular article was one which went back historically and reminded us that even during uh, the lead up to World War II, they talk about the fact that Franklin Delano Roosevelt really wanted us to get involved in the war. But he kept saying, no, we're going to stay out of the war, just as Woodrow Wilson had done in World War One. Uh, this, of course, takes us through uh, a variety of others. Uh, how honest was Richard Nixon when he was vice president? How honest was Richard Nixon when he was president? Of course, that's Watergate. Um, how honest was um, Bill Clinton during uh, his eight years in office? Uh, you know, it really depends on what the definition of is is. And, uh, and then we get into all the more recent ones, all the way up to a president who I think has right now been lying, but I'm not sure he knows that there are lies. You know, there's a sense in which we know from a person's memory that sometimes you won't really remember the event, you remember the memory of the event. And an individual that in some cases honestly believes, I think, that he graduated top in his class in law school and honestly was down there with Nelson Mandela and all sorts of other things. Whether he believes it or not, we are in a situation where today this is also one of the great challenges for raising our kids and our grandkids. Because they live in a world where there's lying all the time. And if you consider the president, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, to be your model, your role model for your kids, you've got a problem, don't you? And we can hit on the presidents. We can talk about, you know, NBA stars or NFL stars or um, musicians or celebrities or actors, anything else. That's one of the great challenges, I think, now raising our children and now for many of us raising our grandchildren. What good role model do they have out there? And they really don't have very many of them. And it's a real sad commentary on our world today. Lest you think this is only a problem that Christians are talking about, let me mention these two best-selling books. Um, first of all, um, Daniel Ariely, this became a New York Times bestseller in which, as a professor, he began to realize the problems and the devastation that lies were having, not just in the culture, but on individuals. The honest truth about dishonesty, how we lie to everyone, especially ourselves. And you can read through part of his book and think that he had been cribbing most of it from Solomon, pointing out how when a person heads down this row of lying, the devastation that it has to them, their relationships, and of course, to the culture as a, as in the larger sense. 
I don't believe from what I know of him that he's a believer. I don't think he's a Christian. But nevertheless, he finds himself pointing out all sorts of problems from a culture that has dedicated itself to lying. With Sam Harris, I have no doubt. Sam Harris is one of the so-called new atheists. Uh, just a few minutes ago, Fred and I were talking about Richard Dawkins because it's quoted in one of my books. And Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, uh, Christopher Hitchens, these are all the so-called new atheists. Sam Harris is not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. But again, as an individual that is an expert in neurophysiology, talks about in his book, which again was a bestseller, of the impact that lying has in your life. And it is striking to me that how many times non-Christians are saying, you know, what's actually in the Proverbs actually is true. And I think a real need for us as Christians to recognize that when we talk about the dangers of lying, we can point to the scriptures. We can even point to secular people saying, this is not what I would recommend for a fruitful life in the future. One last point. I think we're also going to have to think about what it means to speak truth in a culture that lies. Um, Rod Dreyer's book is one that I've mentioned before, in which Rod Dreyer actually has been doing interviews with people that used to live behind the Iron Curtain, behind the Soviet Union. These are people from Poland and from what was then Czechoslovakia and Hungary and uh, Belarus and places like that that have come to this country. And they talked about the force that came from the government forcing them to lie. And the phrase, live not by lies, comes from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in which he said, when we find ourselves in this totalitarian country, we have to speak the truth and live not by lies. And what he has found, Rod Dreyer, is that these individuals now in this country say, what happened in our country, I see happening in this country today. But the difference is, what they said was, it was kind of hard totalitarianism. It, it was forcing you from the government to tell lies. Um, but what we have here is more what they call soft totalitarianism, where social media um, and others are forcing you to lie. Although I'm beginning to see that the government's trying to force us in some respects as well about the fact that we should say, well, there are more than two genders um, you can't even have a Supreme Court justice who graduated from Harvard Law School um, actually give you an honest question about what it means to be a woman. Right? I mean, there's something seriously wrong about a person that will be sitting in the court very soon when asked, what is a woman? Can you define a woman? Cannot do that. And that shows you the incredible force that is being put on individuals, especially if they want to be politically correct. So we're going to have to face some of that as well. And Rod Dreyer says, you know, there may come a day in which we are dissidents simply because we speak the truth. Because we say, you know what? We believe that abortion is wrong because it kills the unborn. Uh, we believe that uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. We believe that there are only two genders, male and female. Uh, those uh, used to be pretty obvious. But we're moving into a culture where those could be kind of controversial, and that is the case. So that's why I wanted to put up Nancy Piercy's book as well, Total Truth, because we're going to have to recognize that speaking the truth in love is going to be one of the challenges. So we may be honest in our dealings, but what happens when the pressure comes? Are we going to capitulate or are we going to still stand for truth? I think that's one of the great challenges we face in the 21st century. And once again, our guidebook is in the book of Proverbs.